It has been said that the book of Psalms is really a mini Bible. In Psalms, we're provided with an overview of the salvation history from creation through the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, the establishment of the tabernacle and the temple, the exile of Israel due to their unfaithfulness. And Psalms points us to the coming messianic redemption and the renewal of all things. In Psalms, the doctrine of revelation and of human nature and sin are presented. In fact, one of the ancient church fathers wrote, whatever your particular need or trouble from this same book, the Psalms, you can select a form of words to fit it so that you learn the way to remedy your ill. Every situation in life, beloved, is presented in the book of Psalms. Psalms anticipates and trains us in every possible spiritual, social, and emotional condition. And during hospital visits from birth to being at bedside and hospice care, the Psalms never fail to provide a divine perspective. I submit to you this morning that we're not simply to read the Psalms, but we're to immerse ourselves in them. So that through the enabling of the Holy Spirit, we are molded, we are shaped, and we're trained on how we should relate to God. I can't linger here, but I'm compelled to tell you how the Psalms have ministered to my soul. One small example would be Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God. Have mercy upon me according to the multitude of your loving kindness. And I have found personal comfort in verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and restore a steadfast spirit within me. In 1 Chronicles, we learn that the Psalms, it's really like the Holy Spirit-enabled hymn book for public worship. And we know that the Psalms were set to music. I can think of at least two reasons why Psalms were set to music. One is simply that setting the Psalms to music enhances worship. We certainly appreciate that people literally from around the world join us each Sunday to worship with us online. Via the internet, brothers and sisters from Iowa and Virginia and North Carolina and Florida, join us to worship. And I'm so appreciative that we have been able to consecrate the technology for the glory of God. But I submit to you, beloved, that there is nothing quite like being in this magnificent sanctuary when hundreds of devoted believers lift their voices in authentic praise and worship. The Moody Church is comprised of people from over 60 different countries, diverse socioeconomic backgrounds, from GEDs to PhDs. But here, every Sunday, the miracle of unity is celebrated and experienced and displayed as our hearts are united around the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I certainly am grateful for Pastor Stafford and our worship team. Now, Tim is an accomplished musician. He is also a biblical scholar. But when he ascends this platform, he comes not to perform. He knows how to do it, but he doesn't come here to perform. He comes to praise, and there's a difference. Week after week, he leads us into an attitude of praise and to worship. Music enhances worship. The other thing that I think setting the Psalms to music did is it helps to memorize. Each one of us, how did you learn your ABCs? A, B, C, D, E, F. Uh-huh, okay. <laughs> Today, in the passage we have the privilege of perusing, we have a song of praise, music for our souls, soul music, if you please. Psalm 103 is a primer of praise. I submit to you that this psalm should be used and reused and reused in every believer's daily private devotions, as well as in our public worship. Something that's unique about Psalm 103, in many of the psalms, there's a historical context. It will have a reference point as to why it was authored either the rebellion of Israel or their return to God. 51 was written right after David's great sin with Bathsheba was revealed, but Psalm 103 has no historical contextual reference, and I think that's intentional because it can be read in the good times and in the bad as you celebrate the successes of life and as you go through the vicissitudes of life, Psalm 103 is applicable. So I invite you now to turn in your Bibles, your cell phone. In the seat back in front of you, there's a Bible. It's on page 502. I want us to read those first two verses again. Are you there? Do you see it? Just say amen. amen. Thank you, you three people. <laughs> Starting at verse 1. Let's read it out loud. Let's fill the sanctuary with this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Six words. But there is so much here to unpack this morning in these six words. Bless. This is a command. Now, we all talk to ourselves. Everybody does it. There's nothing wrong with talking to yourself. When you, your alarm clock goes off in the morning and you look over there and you're running late, you say to yourself, uh-oh, I got to get up. Who are you talking to? Yourself. You make a mistake or you drop something and you say, oops. Who are you talking to? Yourself. It's absolutely okay to talk to yourself. You just don't want to get into a fight or an argument <laughs> where you're telling yourself, shut up. I'm not listening to you. Well, you better shut up. I'm not going to. <laughs> what the psalmist is saying here. He's giving a command to his soul. Now, there's an urgency in this that we often don't see displayed when we read it. 
It's an importance, an imperative. He's saying, wake up, my soul, wake up. Adoration is required. When we say bless, what are we talking about? He's saying you need to magnify. You need to speak well of. We need to adore. Who? Look at the text. In the Bible, the word Lord is expressed three different times, three different ways. You'll see in 1 Peter 3, 6, when he talks about Sarah calling Abraham Lord, lowercase l-o-r-d. Or when Jesus is reprimanding the Pharisees for wanting to lord over people. You know, this business about Sarah calling Abraham Lord. Young men, if you're considering matrimony and you want your intended to call you Lord or you want a Lord over her, you need to come see me. Marriage is not for you. Can I get an amen, ladies? Thank you. We see capital L-O-R-D representing deity, but look carefully at your Bible. Now, Pastor Ferris touched on this last week when he preached. We didn't collaborate on this. The Holy Spirit wanted us, I guess, to underline this. This is the Tetragrammaton. This is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This is Yahweh, the great I am, Adonai, bless God Almighty, my soul, is his command. But look carefully. Bless the Lord, O my mouth. Is that what your Bible says? I'm sorry, let me read it again. Bless the Lord, O my lips. Is that what it says? No. Bless the Lord, O my and all that is within me. This is not lip service. Recently, I had occasion to deal with a local telecommunications provider to address a problem from one of our members of our congregation. This went on for days. The service, customer service representative admitted that they had made a problem. They admitted that they'd made a mistake. Yet it took days to get this thing rectified. And I can't tell you how many hours on the phone calling and calling. And when it finally got resolved, she read, please know how much we appreciate you as a customer. Lip service, simply performing rituals and parroting platitudes. When it comes to the issue of praise, beloved, authentic praise requires our all. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Today in America, human resource professionals are struggling with a phenomenon called quiet quitting. Now, the term isn't literal, but it's a play on words, and it refers to employees who are dissatisfied with where they work. But rather than quit, rather than leave, they just commit to, I'm only going to do the mere minimum. In companies and businesses, large and small, employees simply aren't giving their best. 
Productivity is certainly compromised, as they do the bare minimum. You say, Pastor Larry, what's your point? Is this how you approach a time of worship and praise? Let me ask you plain. Are you giving God your best, your all? Even this morning, what distractions have chipped away at your attention, your energy, your enthusiasm, your focus? The psalmist tells us that praise requires our all. He then goes on to tell us that if you need help with your praise, then what you need to do is remember. In this primer of praise, God instructs his children to remember his benefits. My wife, Lamita, has a charm bracelet. Actually, she has two. One she inherited from her mother. And the other, she has started to collect charms on it. And she uses this charm bracelet to commemorate and remember milestones, accomplishments, births, and loved ones. Here, in this primer of praise, David selects some very choice and precious pearls of truth to string on the memory of his heart to acknowledge gratitude and stimulate praise. Do you need help in praising? The psalmist says you need to remember. Remember what? Look at the text. Our pearl number one, remember who forgiveth all iniquities. Oh, help us, Father. The preciousness of pardon. Oh, how precious pardon is in its present tense, and it's in its continual sense. Pardoned by God Almighty, our sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus. In Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12, tell us, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion or pity on his children, this is what our father does. We're forgiven. If you need a cause for praise, remember that you're forgiven or perhaps you've forgotten. Do you remember who you were before Jesus came into your life? Do you remember that you were lost and deceived and on a road to nowhere? My commissions, my omissions, my faults, I've been pardoned. My forgiveness makes a way for healing now and for redemption and for purpose in my life. Oh, the preciousness of pardon. I thank you, Father. String this pearl of truth on the memory of your heart. It will help you to praise. You need more help? We got another pearl. The psalmist says, as you look at verse 3, remember him who heals all your diseases. Now, we need to be careful here. Certainly, God can heal maladies. He can heal diseases. He can heal sicknesses. Scripture instructs and teaches us that during his earthly ministry, Jesus healed all manner of diseases. 
But this passage is not referring to physical ailments or medical problems. We know that there are many of God's children who serve faithfully that haven't received physical healing. Johnny Erickson Tata, Fanny Crosby. No, what he's referring here, in Mark 2 we, we read, the connection between sin and sickness, the connection between our sin and spiritual sickness. Jesus told them in Mark 2, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Do you see the connection of sin? In Jeremiah, he says, return, O faithless sons, I will heal your faithlessness. Behold, we come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Psalm 41, as for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me, heal me, for I have sinned against you. And Isaiah, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sins. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Sickness of the body and soul came into the world by sin. Now, God is our great physician. And as a child of God, we are spiritually under his care. And just like a doctor goes to the hospital and makes rounds, the Holy Spirit visits us to facilitate our healing with the effects of sin in our lives, healed from bitterness, healed from lust, healed from anger, healed from faithlessness. Pearl three, yes, we need to remember that God forgives and that he heals, but look at the text. He redeems our lives from the pit. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. During Old Testament time, the concept of kinsman redeemer was well known to the people. The kinsman redeemer is a male relative who according to the various laws had the privilege, dare I say, the responsibility to help a relative who was in trouble, who was in danger who was in need. Hmm. Perfect example of that is illustrated in the book of Ruth where the kinsman redeemer is Boaz. The kinsman redeemer at his own expense pays off the debt of another. Now here in Psalms, when he talks about redemption, we're not talking about finances, no sir because our greatest need is not for someone to pay off our financial debts, however great they might be, but for someone to redeem us from the debt our sins have incurred. Without Jesus, we're lost, condemned, 
spiritually bankrupt and destined to spend eternity separated from God. But God, the Bible says, sent his only begotten son, Jesus. And when Jesus was marched up to Calvary and nailed to the cross, he bore our sins. He bore my sins and he paid the debt for our sins and for all humanity. And as God measured out the full measure of his wrath and poured it on him, we now are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, redeemed and reconciled to God. The debt of my sin, I couldn't pay it, but now it's been paid in full and I've been redeemed, redeemed. But wait, there's more. Look at the text. Not only does he forgive, not only does he heal, not only does he redeem, but he now crowns us with love. Oh, I'm reminded of the words of that old familiar hymn. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life, what more could he give? Oh, how he loves you and me. Jesus to Calvary did go, his love for sinners to show what he did there brought hope from despair. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. I'm so grateful to Michelle and our children's ministry here. My granddaughter, Samia, is singing the truth of God's word. I like it when she's by herself and she just starts singing. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. The Bible does tell us so, beloved. Doesn't John 3.16 tell us that God so loved the world? In Romans 5.8, the Bible tells us, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In 1 John 4:19, we love because he first loved us. In this, the love of God has made manifest among us that God sent his only son to the world that we might live through him. Now, I don't know about you, but I stand before you this morning persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principality, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor all other creatures shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He loves us. And this is, this is why, praise him. This is why, beloved, we need to cry out. Scripture says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We have been crowned with love and compassion. And this love, this crown, signifies that we're people who are loved by God in a way that we can hardly comprehend. It's almost impossible to understand unless you experience it. 
because this will cause you to have spontaneous praise. The people at your job don't appreciate you? Tell your soul to remind yourself God loves you. People in your family want to make fun of you because of your faith? Remind yourself God loves you. You've been hurt? God loves you, beloved, and tell him, you can't hurt me anymore because I'm loved with the love of God himself. I'm going to ask you plain. Have you told anybody that God loves you? This week? This month? Ever? Pearl 5. David credits the Lord with satisfying him with good things. Now, Psalm 84 reminds us that when the Bible talks about good things, that God doesn't withhold good things, we're not talking about material things. Many unbelievers associate the possession of wealth and material objects with the so-called good life. Huh. That's not what he's talking about here. Solomon was a rich man. But if you read in Ecclesiastes, as rich and as powerful as he was, his possessions were empty. They couldn't satisfy his heart. So what good things is the psalmist talking about? Vain toys? Idle pleasures? No. The newest cell phone? No. Beloved, I don't have everything I want, but by the grace of God, I have everything that I need. Peace of mind, contentment, these are the good things that God gives us. The verse also credits the Lord with renewing the believer's life with the energy and strength like an eagle. I love this so much. Regardless of our age, we find strength and vitality in order to do the Lord's will. My sins forgiven, the power of sin subdued, the penalties paid. Now, I'll confess to you that contemporary life is difficult. It's complex. It's complicated. But God enables his children, like an eagle, to soar above their circumstances because we have a kingdom perspective. When your heart is praising God, it lifts your spirit above this place we call Chicago. It lifts your spirit above Cook County. It lifts your spirit above Illinois, of North America, and takes you into his very presence where you know and you understand that God is sovereign. And the galaxies themselves spin at the sheer force of his will alone. We get a whole different perspective. And like an eagle with its keen eyesight, we have discernment. 
discernment that is so needful now to understand the difference between truth and lies. Interesting that he uses the eagle. Eagles mate for life. You stuck with me, Mita, I'm sorry. He gives us the energy for the task ahead, fearless and confident. When you're walking with the Lord, beloved, there's joy in service. It's not work. Now, we need rest, to be sure, and we get tired, but it's the Lord who renews us and gives us new vigor for the job ahead, day after day after day after day. Now, we know that he heals. We know that he forgives. We know that he redeems. We know that he enables. We know that he loves. But if you need the perfect reminder about why we should praise, we got to go back to verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Here it is. Bless his holy name. Hmm. Bless his holy name. When we do this, beloved, we're no longer blessing God or speaking well of him because of what he's done. We're speaking well of him because of who he is. He's holy. He's always been holy and he'll always be holy and there simply is nothing to compare to him. Holiness occupies the foremost rank of all of God's attributes. And that's why holiness is declared all throughout Scripture, and especially in the Old Testament. In Leviticus, and Joshua, and 1 Samuel, in Isaiah, and Ezekiel, and Habakkuk, holiness was emphasized by the bounds that were set about Mount Sinai. And holiness is again emphasized by the division that God placed between man and the holy and the holy of holies by instituting a special priesthood and the many laws that he instituted about impurity and isolating Israel and Palestine. He's saying, I'm holy and you're not. He has no beginning. He has no end. He never makes a mistake, and he's absolutely perfect. There is a tendency, beloved, to become all too familiar with God, to treat him like he's some kind of grandfatherly figure passing out treats to his adoring grandchildren. We need to get that straight right here, right now. This is a holy God who deserves our reverence, our respect, our awe, our fear, our worship, our praise. Because when you have the right view of God's holiness, it leads to the right view of sin. Psalm 103 is a primer on praise, music for our souls. But if you don't know Jesus, the harmony of its theological truths is just noise. His instructions, blurred lines. We come to this. 
Whenever you sit and hear a message, you should ask yourself just one question. What is it that God would have me to do as a result of hearing what I've heard today? For some, you may be prompted to dig deeper into Psalm 103, and I want to encourage you to do that. We've talked about five verses. There is so much more to dig into here. And in your personal devotion, in your private study, I would encourage you to dig into Psalm 103 for yourself and let the Lord speak to your soul. Some of you may be prompted today to stop half-stepping. You got one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Stop with the lip service. Give God your best. Give God your best. Respond by being obedient to that today. And I'm not asking you to sign up for anything or volunteer for anything. I firmly believe that ministry will find you, but you gotta be present. Make a commitment to come, to be faithful in your attendance, to be faithful in your prayer life, to be faithful in your Bible study. Ministry will find you. No, you don't hear me. You don't need to be on a committee to pick up a piece of paper on the sidewalk in front of this building. You don't need to be on a committee in order to pick up bulletins that are left behind in the sanctuary or to open a door or to greet somebody or to offer somebody a hand. Ministry will find you, but you gotta be present. And for some, you may now in this hour come to the realization that God, Jesus, his holiness is foreign to you. Because God is holy, there is a great chasm between God and sinners. If you don't know God, you're estranged from God. We can't approach him in our own strength. There's nothing we can do to erase our sinfulness. We can't do it without Jesus. The good news, beloved, is that's how you're thinking this morning, then the Holy Spirit himself is prompting you. I want to encourage you. However it is that God is prompting, respond, where you can experience for yourself God's forgiveness, God's cleansing, God's healing, his redemption, his enabling. The Bible says, if you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. He meets us right where we are, beloved. That would be my prayer for you today. Whatever it is that God has prompting you to do, won't you respond? Let's pray. Father, I've said what you would have me to say.
We thank you for the truths that are presented in Psalm 103. And we thank you for your plan of salvation, your plan of redemption. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary. And so now, Father, would you speak to those that are under the sound of my voice? Would you take the little that I have and you multiply it now for your glory? That your people may be edified, that they may be purified and sanctified, and that they would come now with hearts of repentance to accept the free gift of eternal life offered through Jesus. Now we pray in the magnificent, the wonderful, the matchless name of Yeshua, Jesus, and amen.